The last mission of the Masechta continues to discuss Shavuos Hashemrim, the different oaths which a Shemer, somebody who's looking after another person's item, might swear, and more specifically Shavuos HaPikodoin, when he makes a full Shavua in order to exempt himself from paying, the punishment for which is a Korban Osham. So the mission is talking about a Shoyel, somebody who borrows the item, and a borrower is liable to replace the item if anything happens to it, even if it's out of his control. Whatever happens to the item which he's looking after, he would need to replace it. So we saw in the previous Mishnah that essentially a Shoyel can pretty much never be liable to Shavuos HaPikadain, because whatever he swears, that won't help him to exempt himself from paying. And in order to be liable to the punishment for Shavuos HaPikadain, the Korban Osham, it needs to be that he swore and his oath helped to exempt himself from paying. However, this Mishnah shows that even a borrower, in one specific case, can be liable to, Shavuaz, to the punishment for Shavuaz HaPikadain. If the owner of the item comes to the Shoya and he says, Hey, Khan Shoyri, where is my ox that I gave you to borrow? Oh my loy, the borrower says back to him, Any I don't know what you're talking about. Meaning, he denies ever becoming a borrower in the first place. Now, in reality, he was a borrower, and Vahushamais, the animal which he borrowed, died, a nishbar, or broke a limb, a nishbar, or was captured forcibly, a nignav, or was stolen, a ovad, or was lost. But he lied, and he said that he was never a borrower. And the owner of the animal said to him, Mashbiachani, I make you swear about what you are saying, V'omar Omein, and he answered Omein, so he accepted the Shavua upon himself, says the Mishnah, in this case, Chayev, he will be liable to this punishment of Shavuos HaPikadain, because this Shavua did, would, would help to exempt himself from paying. Of course, if he never became a borrower, then he's not going to be responsible to replace the animal. So in this case, even a borrower would be liable to the punishment of a Shavuos HaPikadain. If the owner of an item gives something to a Shemr Sachar, he gives it to him to guard, and he pays him to guard it, but he's not allowed to use it. Or a renter, so he's able to use it, but he needs to pay in order to use it. These two types of Shemr are in the same category of liability. They're not like a borrower who is gaining totally from the whole arrangement, because he can use it and he doesn't have to pay to use it. And it's not like a Shemr Chinam who is only guarding it and cannot use it, and is not even being paid to use it. Shemr Chinam is not really gaining anything from the arrangement. These two people are gaining, but they're not gaining the full amount like a borrower. And because of that, the level of their liability is medium. If it gets stolen or lost, they'll be liable, because they could have stopped that happening by guarding it very well. But if something else happens out of their control, they will not be liable to replace the item. So if the owner of the item says to the Shemr Sachar or the Seicher, Hey Khan Shayri, where is my ox which I gave you to guard or to use on my loy? And he replies, Mace, it died, but in reality, Vusha Nishbar Nishbar. It broke a limb or was captured forcibly. So according to what actually happened, he's exempt from paying. And also, according to what he said, he's exempt from paying because all of these three things are considered out of his control, so he'll be exempt. But based on what happened, anyway, he was exempt. So it's not the oath which helped to exempt him from paying. And therefore, he's not going to be liable for Shavuos HaPikadain. Or if he says, Nishba, it broke a limb, we shall be say Nishba, but in reality, it died or was captured forcibly. Nishba, if he claimed that it was captured forcibly, but in reality, the animal died or broke a limb. Nignav, if he claims that it got stolen, now that Shavu is not even going to help to exempt him, because even if it did get stolen, he has to pay. So obviously, he's not exempting himself by making this Shavuah. 
and by claiming that it got stolen. in reality it got lost, or Ovad if he claims that it got lost. Vushinigna, but in reality it got stolen. Again, in this case, even according to his claim, he's liable to pay. So he's certainly not going to be liable for having made a false Shavuot if the owner says I make you swear about that, Vomar Amein, and he accepted the Shavuot, Potter will be exempt. However, if he claims Mesh a Nishbar a Nishbar, it died or was cat or broke a limb or was captured forcibly, so I'm exempt. But in reality, Vushinigna Ovad really got stolen or got lost, so he should be liable to replace it. Mashbiachani and the owner says I make you swear, Omar Amein, and he accepts the Shavua Chayev, he would be liable because the Shavua which he made helped to exempt him from paying. What happens if it's the opposite? Ovad Enignav, he claims that it got lost or stolen. So even according to his claim, he's liable to pay. So that's obviously not helping to exempt him from paying. And in reality, in reality, the animal died or broke a limb or was captured forcibly. So according to what happened in reality, he's exempt from paying. So certainly in this case, he'll be exempt. If the owner says, I make you swear about that, for Omar Amein, and he accepted the Shavua, he said Amein, Potter is exempt from the punishment of Shuas HaPikadain. It should be noted, however, even when he's exempt from Shuas HaPikadain, he's still liable to a Korban for having done a different transgression of making a full Shavua. But in terms of Shuas HaPikadain, that's only if, by making the Shavua, you're exempting yourself from having to pay. This is the rule, says the Mishnah, anyone who changes what actually happens meaning he lies, he makes a full shavua, from a state of being obligated to a state of being obligated. Meaning, according to what actually happened, he's liable to pay. And according to what he swears, he's also liable to pay. It could be it's a full shavua, but it's not helping to exempt him. Or mi p'tur le p'tur, if according to what actually happened, he's exempt from paying, and according to what he swears, he's also exempt from paying. Or or if in reality he's exempt from paying, but according to what he swears, he's liable to pay. Potter, in these cases, he's exempt from the punishment of Shua Sapikadain. Only mechoiva le if he changes and lies, and according to the reality, he's, uh, he's liable to pay. And he swears to say that he's exempt from paying. In that case, Chayv will be liable. Exactly. Well, this is the rule in another way of putting it. Anybody who makes a Shavua to be more lenient upon himself, to exempt himself, he'll be liable. But to make it more strict for himself, or even to just keep the same level of strictness, Potter will be exempt. We begin Masechus Adios, and Masechus Adios is a very unique Masechta, which doesn't really have one common theme in terms of the actual content of the Mishnayas, and it's really a sort of journey throughout the whole of Shas Mishnayas, bringing Mishnayas from many different other Masechtas which come up elsewhere in Shas, and are collected in this Masechta. Not all of the Mishnayas come out elsewhere, but many of them come up elsewhere. And the reason why they are grouped together in this Masechta is because they were all said in the Beis HaMedrash on a particular day. That day, the Gemara describes in length as a long story where Rabban Gamliel was the Nossi. He was the head of the base then until one day an argument began. And to cut a long story short, Rabbi Eloz ben became the next Nossi instead of Rabban Gamliel. And as long as Rabban Gamliel was the Nossi, the head of the base then, he had a policy that only the best Talmidim, the best students, those who were totally genuine and learnt Torah Lishma for the right reasons, only they were allowed into the Mesamedrash to learn. And when Rabbi Eloza ben Azariah became the Nasi, he changed that policy to allow anybody in. And the Gemara describes how hundreds of new benches were added into the Mesamedrash. And the Gemara calls that day Bovayoim, which literally means on that day, because it was a very unique, special day. 
And the Gemara goes on to say that any doubt, any unresolved issue which they had was resolved on that issue because there were so many people there who had different Rebbeim. They were able to testify and relate what they heard from their Rebbeim regarding different halachas. And whenever the Mishnayis or Gemara refers to Bovayim on that day, it always refers to this day when Rabbi Elazar Azariah became the Nasi. But as it may, this Masechta is really a collection of many of the laws which were taught Bovayim on that day. Now, the way that the Masechta is ordered is split into many different categories. It will be quite clear as we go through the Masechta. But for example, there are a couple of Prokim which discuss all of the cases where this Shammai is more lenient than Beis Hillel. And the first few Mishnayis of this parak discuss the arguments between Shammai and Hillel themselves in cases where there was a third opinion given and the Halacha follows the third opinion. So categories like that, be it as it may, the Masechta really does jump around from one topic to another. And the first mission of this Masechta is also the first Mishnah of Masechta's Nidah. Masechta's Nidah is about a particular tumor which a woman can receive when a woman becomes Tome, when blood leaves her uterus and exits her body. Now the truth is, as soon as the blood exits her uterus, that is when she becomes Tome. Even if it only exits her body and she sees the blood a couple of days later. The question is, when she sees the blood, does she, need, does she need to be concerned that really she became Tomei and that the blood left the uterus earlier on, or not? Now the answer is that Midoraisa, she does not need to be concerned about having become Tomei before that. Reason being, based on an important concept known as a Chazaka. A Chazaka means that the status of something or someone is assumed to be the same as it has been until now, until proven otherwise. So until now, she was Tahar, because she hadn't yet seen the blood. And now we know that she's definitely Tomei because she's seen the blood exit her body. Now what about all of the time before that? So it's a doubt, so we go with the status which she has had until now, which is that she has been Tahar. The question of our Mishnah is whether Midriya Bonon, regarding certain things which require a higher level of purity and care to avoid Tumor, whether regarding those things, Midriya Bonon, it, she is considered to be Tomei already from earlier on. So Shammai Shammai says, All women who see the blood, it's enough that that, that time. Meaning only from that time that they see the blood onwards are they considered to be Tomei, and they don't need to be concerned that they were Tomei before that, even on a Midriya Bonon level. Shammai are concerned that if we start decreeing that she is Tommy from earlier on, people might stop themselves from having relations with their wives. It's a terrible Avera to have relations with one's wife when she is Tommy as a Nidor. And if we say Mijabonon that she's considered to be Tommy from earlier on, in a case where she'll find blood, so her husband will always be afraid from having relations with her. Because it's true that she might not have seen blood yet, but maybe she'll check tomorrow and she'll see that blood has exited her body, and Mijabonon she'll be Tommy already from now. So it'll be considered that I had relations with a Nidor, which is a very severe Avera. And we certainly don't want people to start having relations with their wife. And therefore, even with Jabonon, we stick to the same law as applies mid Eraisa. The hill I know, but Hill says, no, Mipkida Lipkida. From one checking to the next checking. Meaning she's considered to be Tommy retroactively since the last time that she checked for blood. She can use a cloth to check for blood even before it's exited the body. So since the last time she checked and found that she was Tahar, but any time after that she needs to be concerned that she is Tomei. Now even according to Hillel, this is not for everything, this is only concerning things like Carbonis and Trumar. 
if she came in contact with something like that, which requires a higher level of Tara, of purity, if she came into contact with that since the last time that she checked whether she was Tomei or not, then that thing will be considered Tomei. Even if that mean, even if that's for a few days, we need to be strict regarding that, Midjabonon. And according to his Hillel, according to Hillel, there is no concern that now men will stop having relations with their wives. Because even with Jabonon, we're not saying that she's a full nidor. We're saying that for certain things, like Karbonites and Trimo, which require a higher level of sanctity, of purity, for those things, they'll be considered Tomei. But we don't rule strictly regarding she herself being considered a nidor, such that if he has relations with her, that will be he'll be punished for that. Alright, We don't hold like Hillel or like Shammai. According to the Chachomim, the Rabbanon instituted that a woman should check twice a day, once in the morning, once at night. She should check herself with a cloth to check if she is Tomei or not. And that's in order to avoid a problem like Beis Hillel, come, like Hillel came across, that it could end up being that for a few days, anything that she touched were worrying that is possibly Tomei. We'll have lots of doubts whether something is Tomei or not. So to avoid this, the Rabbanon instituted that she should check twice a day whether she is Tomei or not. And the Chachom say that a period of 24 hours reduces the time between one checking and another checking. And the time period between one checking, one examination and the next reduces the time period of 24 hours. What does that mean? That means that in a case where she doesn't check twice a day, let's say, so the Rabbonon are strict, and they say as a sort of punishment, she needs to be concerned that anything in the last 24 hours, meaning in the last two times that she should have checked, each one basically covering the last 12 hours. So as a punishment, we say that the last 24 hours, anything that she touched, we're concerned that that is Tomei. But that's the maximum amount of time, 24 hours. So if she did check within that 24 hours, then only anything which happened, only anything which she touched after she checked would be considered to be Tommy out of doubt. But if the last time she checked was more than 24 hours, more than 24 hours ago, then she would only need to be concerned regarding the last 24 hours, anything that she touched that is Tommy. Mishnah based. This Mishnah involves quite a lot of calculations based on different measurements, and because of the nature of this Masechta, that each Mishnah jumps from one Masechta, one topic, to a totally different topic, we're not necessarily going to go into all of the details and explanations behind each Mishnah to the same degree that we would in a regular Masechta. Because the focus of this Mishnah is what is the minimum amount of dough which one needs to be baking in order to be liable to separate part of it as chala for a koyain. Chala is the gift, the part of a dough which one needs to give to a koyain. But that's only true if he's baking a significant amount of dough. And the mitzvah of chala was given to the Jewish people in the Midbar. And the Torah says that you need to separate chala from your dough. Why does the Torah talk about your dough? We learn from there that it's taught that, that the mitzvah of chala only applies if the size of your dough is the same size as the mon. That was the dough which the Jewish people had in the Midbar, in the desert. And the Torah says that the, the amount of mon which each person received was an oimer. That's a particular volume. And the Torah says that the a volume of an oimer is a tenth of an ephah. So that is the amount of dough which one needs to bake in order to be liable to chala. The question is, what exactly is that volume? And that is the subject of the machlegs in this Mishnah. Shammai me Shammai says, Mikav lachala. The dough needs to be at least the size of a kav, which is equivalent to 24 eggs, 24 kabetzim. That is the minimum amount to be liable to chala. The hill, I mean, Mikabayim hill says that the minimum amount 
is 2 kav, which is equivalent to 48 kibetzim. That is the minimum amount. Once again, the Chachamim say, We don't agree with either of the opinions. Rather, one and a half kav is the minimum amount to be liable in chalo. And when the measurements grew larger, when the volume measurements changed, five revoim, reva is the same as a loig, so a loig is a quarter of a kav, so one and a quarter kav, instead of one and a half, one and a quarter, that is the minimum chayovin to be liable in chalo. Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yosef says, if there, are, if there are exactly five loig, meaning one and a quarter kav, then you're exempt. If it's five plus a little bit more, then you would be liable to separate chala. And this is also based on the changing levels of measurements that the eggs in the times of Rabbi Yossi he held were smaller than the eggs at the time of the Torah. But as it may, the exact reasons for each Tana's calculations are beyond the scope of this year. Mr. Gimel, the minimum amount of water which there needs to be in a mikveh is 40 sa'ah. And that 40 sa'ah needs to be directed into the mikveh in a natural way, and it cannot be put into there by drawing the water from elsewhere and putting it into a, some sort of vessel, some sort of utensil, and then pouring it into the mikveh like that. That is known as maim sh'uvim, drawn water, and that would invalidate the mikveh. That having been said, once the mikveh is already full with 40 sa'ah of water, then we can add as much maim sh'uvim as we like. The question is, before we've reached that level of 40 sa'ah, how much maim sh'uvim would be enough to invalidate the entire mikveh? Hillel Omer Hillel says, hin maim mikveh. If it's the amount of a hin, which is equivalent to 12 loig, if that is the amount which is put in before the mikveh has reached its 40 sa'ah amount, then it would invalidate the entire mikveh. This is a Midrabona law that it invalidates the mikveh, and according to Hillel, the reason why it's that amount is because that's the largest liquid measurement mentioned in the Torah. So therefore the Rabbonin decided that it would be an appropriate amount to say that it will be invalid. Now, the Mishnah doesn't generally use terms like hin. Hin is used in the Torah, but in the Mishnah's language, we've got different measurements, like a loig, a kav. So why did Hillel use this word, which is a Torah word, of hin? The Mishnah answers, Rather, it teaches us that a person is obligated to repeat a teaching in the same language as he heard it from his teacher. So according to Mr. Hillel, the amount is a hin, which is equivalent to 12 loig, which is equivalent to 3 kav. The Shammai Shammai says, Tisho Kabin. It only becomes invalidated if there are nine calves of Maim Shuvim before we reach the 40 sa'ah amount of water. This is the minimum amount of water which is needed for a Balkari to become Tohar. A Balkari is a certain type of tumor which a person gets, that he becomes Tomei. And this is already to do with the laws of uh, mikvah and becoming pure, and therefore, according to Shammai, this is an appropriate measure. The halach is not like Shammai and not, not like Hillel. Rather, according to the Chachomim, although it's not stated explicitly here, they held that three loig, which is a much smaller amount. According to Shammai, you need nine kav, which is 36 loig. And according to Hillel, you need 12 loig. But according to the Chachomim, three loig of water of Maim Shodim is enough to invalidate the mikveh. And its opinion was supported by the following story at Shabbat Shnegar Diem, Mishar until two weavers who lived by, by the Dung Gate in Yerushalayim. They had quite a lowly profession. They lived in quite a 
poor, lowly area, but they gave testimony in the name of Shemaya and Avtalyoin, that they heard from them that that three loig of Maim Shovim are enough to invalidate the mikveh. The Kimu Chachomes Divreim and the Chachomim accepted their words and established that as the Halacha. Even Hillel and Shammai agreed. And this is a perfect introduction to the Masechta where we see that even people who were not necessarily the most important and biggest time in the Chachomim, on that day when they entered the Besamedrash under Belozman Azariah and they gave testimony in the name of, in the name of Shammai and Avtalyain, who were actually Shammai and Hillel's Rebbeim, so the Halacha was established according to what they said and testified.